Hey, what's going on, Champagne Sharks? How's everyone doing? This is episode 101. We are in the triple digits. And this is T, Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. And also go to the group Twitter account. We've been using it more. Uh, it was just kind of sitting there for a while, but we have been using it more. And it is at Champagne Sharks. Also, I've lost track of where we are, so I don't know if this is a free one or a bonus one. But just in case it's not a bonus one and it's free, go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks to become a patron of the show. You get double the episodes every week. It's twice a week. We're running a little late this week, so but we're still doing two this week. But normally it's Tuesday and Friday that we have um, the episodes. And also, we have some swag coming out, like shirts, uh, mugs, etc. They've been designed. Just gonna put that out there. So it'll be a great way to uh, support the show. A lot of people have been asking for it, and yeah, we have with us as well um, D Mills. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's D Mills, man. Thank you for joining us. You can catch me on Twitter at mdmills79. And uh, man, it's great to be with you guys today. How's everybody doing? What's up, T? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we have our guest here, Benny Halevi. Hey, guys. How's it going? Yeah, just introduce the people. Let them know where to find you, either online, yeah. Yeah, like I'm social, on, yeah, social media or writing or anything. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Benny underscore carefully. And uh, on Medium, you can find me at Benny Halevi, last name, H-A-L-E-V-I. Yeah, and I mean, like, uh, we don't normally have any dumb guests we have you know <laughs> pretty smart guests i think you know and uh but so so when i point out that benny's a bright guy you know it's not really saying much because i think we tend to always have bright people but what makes benny bright in particular besides being a day one fan of champagne sharks that <laughs> automatically makes you a smart guy but um uh, benny is the guy who asked i didn't even realize this till lately um he asked a lot of the questions that I end up answering on the show, some of the um, better questions. And the ones that you sent by email, I didn't realize um, was you because it was your real name and not your Twitter handle. And then, but you've also asked some in uh, on Twitter and DMs, you know, and I, I never put the two together and realized that they were both <laughs> uh, the same guy. But the genesis of this particular episode was Benny asked a question or brought up something they thought would be a good topic. And as we talked about it together, I realized he was filling in a lot of knowledge gaps for me while we were talking about the topic that made me think, Hey, instead of me just trying to figure it out and bring the topic onto the show, why don't we just do it um, on air? Like, like, you know, just, just be a guest and we'll do it like that. And I think it'll be a good time. So I think uh, I'll let you introduce uh, the topic since you're the one who uh, brought it to us. Yeah, the, the original message that I sent T was, um, I saw a thread that my first thought was, something's a little little off here. And my second thought was, I should send something about this as a question to the Champagne Sharks email. But then I was like, no, I'm going to ask T what he thinks about it, because I think this could be a really good topic really soon. Um, and it was a thread by... Ijeoma Oluo, who's a Seattle author, author of So You Want to Talk About Race. Um, the thread starts with, hey, 
If Jewish people say that they are uncomfortable with the use of concentration camps, in quotes, to describe the horrific treatment of undocumented immigrants because it feels like an exploitation of their trauma from genocide, it's not because they don't care about what's happening. With that last part, it's not a because they don't care in all capitals. Um, it's got a lot, a lot of, it's a deep thread, but that's the beginning of it. Don't want to read the whole. <laughs> it's a pretty long thread and I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Yeah. But she gets curiously animated about it. She gets yeah. strangely invested, you know, and she gets, and she starts, you know, as, as usual with these people, they post these controversial, not controversial, but provocative things. Yes. And then get upset if they don't get an echo chamber. So then she's just getting really mad, including... She seems to get upset at some Jewish people, even because a, yeah. a lot of Jewish people were saying, "Hey, we're Jewish, and that's bullshit." Oh yeah, yeah. The, a big thing you have in here, and this is the thing I've been experienced with for for years, is like Jewish people come in and say, "Hey, like, listen, it's it's a very specific fit when you're talking about Jewish people who are uncomfortable, you know, and you're defending them." Yeah, you're talking about conservative right. Jewish people. Yeah, like 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 neocons, Zionists, exactly. people who exactly. Like, right, who write for commentary but yeah yes that's what's kind of interesting because you know I, i'm not gonna say i fully understand it but i have a cursory understanding of those different camps but it's kind of interesting that these people who like to always use the phrase black people aren't a monolith um right kind of treat like um jewish and asian people kind of like you know just one giant identity because you know everything's identity politics but the superficial kind you know and they just like we'll talk about like asians do this jewish people do that and and, and like you said there's right it's a way like nuance because um things like noah cohen's uh jewish currents exactly is pretty jewish and it's very radical and it's like diametrically exactly. opposed to you know like i i mentioned um this threat to him for example and he was like you know that, well, that's total bullshit mm -hmm. like, like you know it's um one, one thing interesting about from what i know of the jewish currents and noah colwin is uh it doesn't try to do a thing of like we're reclaiming the real jewish history of uh radicalism or of socialism they don't we're but i see like, that's a lot of thing you know right. A lot, that's a thing that I think I get it, but I think it's uh, a dead end when you say, all right, we're going to really reclaim this identity group as a radical left group, because the reality is that's not the real group. That's not the reality of the group, you know, to begin with. And um, when you first uh, mentioned that, I remembered an old article that since he, I think, has taken down his blog and then maybe put it back up. I'm not positive if it's still there. Uh, Matt Brunig, former Champagne Sharks guest, like, I want to say in like 2015, he wrote an article called something about, I think it might have just been called Identitarian Deference on his blog. That was the term he used, Identitarian Deference. And uh, mm, that's a good term. Yeah. And he basically, he, he gets into some nuances like he often does. But his basic conclusion is he says, when we say, oh, I'm doing this because Jewish people think this way, or I'm doing this because black people think this way. We're saying, I'm doing this because people from that group who share my worldview or share my social like milieu, they agree with me. And that's really true. And he said, he basically says, we should admit that that's what we do. And it's true. Oh, wow. I wish I saw the article because I totally agree with that. And I, and I think we've brought that up on this show about how a lot of times I put up a tweet once where, because you, know, you know, there's uh, that common phrase, um, listen to black women. Oh, yes. But, but I notice a lot of times if the black woman is not saying what is palatable to the white ally then they won't like it and they'll turn on her and sometimes a lot of times they'll lecture black women about 
the certain intersectional people they should be reading. Oh, totally. To be, a, I, guess a, I guess, a better black woman, right? But so I, I put on, um, listen to black women. Dot dot dot. No, not that one. Yeah, this one. Yeah. No, a funny thing with that is there's a common thing you've probably heard or seen on Twitter where people say like, you know, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say the person because it's a person. She's. It's Amanda Marcotte is the most famous person who does this. Everybody will say, "Oh yeah, Amanda Marcotte blocks all the black women so that only white dudes are disagreeing with her. So she can say, look at all these white dudes. Well, all the black women got blocked. The thing I realized about that, <laughs> the thing I, I mean, she blocks, she blocks white dudes too, but she leaves the most white dudes to still talk to her. Um, but like the, the thing about that is it's not just that they're being hypocrites or whatever. What I think goes on there sometimes is like, I know, and this is honestly, I'll be real, this is kind of like from personal experience of like growing up as like a white liberal to center person, like as a kid, and in the like a somewhat liberal to center Jewish community, like people feel more comfortable dismissing that. Oh, what is a to center? I don't know what that is. Oh, sorry. I just meant like, I meant like liberal to center, you know? Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. <laughs> oh, this. Yeah, just like. Oh, oh, this center. Yeah, like, like a liberal to center is in like liberal or cent, liberal or center. I was just kind of saying, you know. Oh, oh, liberal to center. Yeah, yeah. Three words. Oh, yes, okay, yes. okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of two center, like the number two. Like, yeah, I was oh, like, okay, no, is he no. talking about a socioeconomic <laughs> group or what? What is he? <laughs> you got the 1% and you got the two percent like, <laughs> yeah yeah i got you now okay. but yeah just it's it's basically a thing when i look back i realize that i there's a way where you feel more comfortable being like oh like that's that's a radical black woman that's like a trope you're familiar with of like like i i remember getting this idea from media and from like people around me that like well like when there's when there's like a white dude who's radical, like that's somebody who you could be like, oh, that guy's an asshole. Like the the left punching stuff, like, oh, that guy's an asshole. But if it's a black woman who has the same thoughts, like, oh, that's just a some crazy woman with an afro. I when I look back, I remember being raised, and I don't want to like give my parent diss my parents too much. They were more like neutral, but I feel like this I really picked up on this from people around me and from like media. Is that's like a real thing where like it's just uh the trope of like a left person from like the most marginalized or supposedly the most weak group. It's just like yeah, they like it's not just that they're like, oh, I'm blocking them so I can pretend only white people disagree with me. It's also like I'm blocking them because they must be just a total loose cannon, you know? Yeah. Like the way they talked about Nina Turner, you could see that they're like, oh, she's so crazy for talking about the donuts. We're going to make fun of the donuts for years. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't even the proper context. Like they, they, they exactly. like warped the context to make her sound extra crazy. But they also kind of feel like they have a license to do that because they have certain black liberals they surround themselves with. They kind of annoy Who get on code and, and, and actually they themselves are sheepdogs within the black community as well. So you have kind yeah. of like a double fence going on there. You have, you know, the white liberals who do their ver their sheepdogging from the top end and then you have, you know, their handpicked uh, black liberals that, that, you know, do it on the low end. You know, it's really amazing how that system is set up to work <laughs> like that. Yeah, and, and a lot of times these uh 
sheepdogs. Oh, can you explain the term sheepdog in case someone doesn't get it? Yeah, sheepdog is basically a dog that uh, has been trained in order to protect the herd of sheep. And when the sheep begin to stray outside of the boundaries of the field or, you know, their designated territory, the sheepdog runs up to them, barks a little bit and gets them back in line. So that's essentially in a nutshell what we refer to say that, you know, this group of people are sheepdogging, you know, black people, for example. We're supposed to be on the liberal Democrat train at all times. And if we begin to stray away from that, they begin the process of sheepdogging those who stray away. So that's what we mean by that. And, and I think Benny brought up a good point. I want to make sure I'm, I'm uh, explaining it correctly is there is kind of an extra hostility toward black people who go too radical left compared to when white people go too radical left. Like there's a certain amount of agency that I think is denied to black people due to a kind of condescending paternalism where it's like, it's like if a human chooses to go someplace else, it's one thing. But if my pet rejects me, it's like, don't you realize like, you know, you owe me or whatever. Like, like, like there is, there is something. And I think you're kind of getting at that, that they are more hostile toward radicals from, uh, groups of color than they are, uh, white radicals. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I agree and it's like, well, I guess I wonder, do you think that that's more just, uh, that they, they just feel more uncomfortable or more entitled to their support? Or do you think it's more genuine fear? Oh, these people have an actual stake. They might actually be dangerous. I think it's to me. both. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. a combination. Interesting. I think it's totally. I think it's totally both. I, I can't even say which one it is more. I think mm. they're very um, intertwined. As in, they feel like they they they're afraid of us uh, having too much agency. Because because this is what I think about white people. Because I notice how they deal with their own grievances. They do not do a lot of turn the other cheek. Like like you know, there would never be a white historical movie where the white historical heroes their way of winning was. To have the higher morality and just <laughs> take an ass, nope. yeah, take an ass whooping with dignity, and you know, uh, our persecutors, uh, we got to keep our souls, and and you know, we die like you don't really see that. Like for white people, it's said like Braveheart, like you know, even if they lose, they lost whooping ass. You know, you know what I mean? And uh, right, yeah, and I or even in smaller interpersonal scales, like you know, you take something like the Karate Kid, for example. You know, speaking of something that just became popular again because of Cobra Kai, not plugging it, but I'm just saying, you know, that whole movie was about Daniel becoming a, a person that was capable of fighting back and protecting himself. You know, it wasn't about being more moral than the people who were persecuting you. It was, I'm going to get powerful so that I can kick their ass. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Black, black protagonists usually have to win hearts and minds. You know, even mm -hmm. even if it's of uh, uh, allies, like, like, you know, like there are some exceptions. But yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So because I think what so I think what, what white people think is I think to a degree white people say, oh, that's not the way to do and hate doesn't solve anything. And they say these things and they act like they judge us whenever we sound too radical. But I think deep down, they don't respect um, the people that they point out to us as heroes. Like, I think they think. Wow, if I was in your shoes, I would have burned this shit down. 
Oh yeah, it's, it's it's like it comes out of guilt. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, even even not just Martin Luther King, but like you know, looking at Gandhi, even it's like, oh wow, that person has a magic that I wouldn't have if I were in that situation. I would yeah. be burning that down. Yeah, have you ever seen someone act like they're complimenting you, but it's actually low key this? Like, like when when they think you did something kind of wimpy, they'll be like, wow, you're a better person than me. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, kind I, of a backhanded compliment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the backhanded compliment. Like, I would have fucking kicked. His, his ass you know but i guess you're better than me you know i couldn't be that good and, and you know like they're trying to diss you in a low-key way say like you uh and i feel like a lot of times when when, when uh white people compliment black people it's kind of like they, they think they act like oh you're so much better than me like you said but they don't really want to be better because i'm like you could practice that you could um for the boston marathon guy you know you, you could ask the families of the boston marathon people the first day of court uh do you forgive him like, like right. you could try, but, right. but you, ne- you never do. So you don't really ad- admire it. Like, like nobody's saying like uh, with Bin Laden, like you know, turn your the cheek. They were gonna hunt him down as long as it, to the ends ends of the earth, you know. So, 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 so I, so, uh, why were your two options again? Uh, yeah, yeah, why were your two options? You said, are they afraid of the agency? And then, yeah, like, is it more that they think? Oh, these are people who have a real stake in this fight. They might be more likely to actually fight back than white people with the similar politics. Or is it more that they're just like, oh, these people are crazy um, and unhinged because of, you know, just oh, in oh, that more. Oh, 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 no, no. I remember you. Two- like a more fear, more dismissal. Sort yeah, of. I, I remember you two choices. Do they feel entitled to. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, that's what it was. Do they feel more entitled to the support or are they just scared? And I think it's both. They're scared. So then they try to bribe us, but they expect us to be bought cheap. And then when we don't get bought cheap, they bribe us because they're scared. And then when the bribing doesn't seem to be working, then they act entitled like, hey, I did this. You should not. You're still scaring me, you know, so it's a mix of the two. Uh, I cut you off, D. What were you going to say? No, I, you know, I was thinking uh, as we were talking about this, um, a fairly recent example of that kind of sheepdogging and really kind of uh, checking any kind of aggressive action. I remember when Marilyn Mosby came out a couple years ago um, and had the press conference and announced that she was going to be charging the police officers in the murder of Freddie Gray. And I remember Alan Dershowitz came out and he really said some really greasy stuff uh, about her not with regards to that how <laughs> dirt was greasy no way yeah right <laughs> about that situation and here's a guy that's supposed to be kind of like this this uh uh liberal to left leftist champion you know uh, and he came out and he just basically killed whatever little momentum that she had at that point you know i, I just found that very interesting and that was kind of like the first time that i noticed someone that's supposedly on the left or what have you doing something like that in a very public manner but he's not really like he is a, is it from a class of people that could only nominally be called left in mm-hmm. like the clinton 90s and the early 2000s like uh off air uh, betty and i were talking about people that were considered like the pinnacle of woke back in the day who now are almost like you know moderate to conservative g- g- yeah, but, but without changing, like people just look at them almost like they're almost like reactionary, almost, and like, like people like Jonathan Shake. <laughs> no one even thinks of that guy as really like only a certain group of people who no one took seriously anyway thinks of him as an actual voice of the left or liberalism. Like he 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 only says that liberal 
to give his conservative viewpoints more weight. Like, you know, hey, even me, a liberal, thinks, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. And it's always something like pretty right wing. And it's like he does it so much. It's almost like, wait, what actually are you liberal about? Like, you know, I feel like Dershowitz is one of those guys. Like, okay. Yeah, the concern troll. Yeah, yeah. The last the concern time, troll. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, yeah, the last time anybody took him seriously as remotely representing liberals or the left was during the era of uh, Bill Maher's uh, politically in- incorrect. The late nineties. Yeah, yeah. I feel like nobody even. I think people pretty much know he's pretty much like just a right wing guy who kind of acts like he's nonpartisan or skirting liberalism just yeah well i hadn't noticed that up until that point you know i'd always thought of him as this liberal guy you know aclu what have you da 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 until i heard those comments you know some of the shit that he was saying about Marilyn mosby at the time and i said wow that's really interesting that he would come out and basically try to uh play the referee you know to her aggressive play i thought that was very interesting but a lot of people in that ilk uh you know felt the same way about her going so aggressively after those cops so yeah that's definitely uh at least at the time you know i'm not i don't know about what his politics are now and things like that but i always thought of him as a guy that kind of fit that mold like that and it really bothered me when i heard him say that shit you know yeah i'm guessing you probably weren't following him too tough no in the intervening years because that's kind of become his brand now like like Mm. like, not anything uh, (laughs) new at this point you know also like he runs like the conservative talk show circuit and shit like that now well i'll let benny explain it because i have a feeling you probably know better than me so what this is making me think of is uh so dershowitz i feel like is someone who the more you read about him see what he says the more obviously just conservative he is like how he says the i mean some other people who are dershowitz uh, enthusiasts could probably come up with something better but i'm just thinking of the time when he said steve bannon is no enemy to jews <laughs> oh <laughs> like, wow yeah like dershowitz who's always obsessed with the idea that black lives matter are anti-semitic is like uh but you know who's not anti-semitic white nationalists uh <laughs> because they support israel yeah, Which yeah, is, yeah. yeah. His big thing is Israel and Zionism, and he's very much kind of an alarmist uh, about. You know, and that's interesting. Do you know the caricatured version of Al Sharpton that people kind of create? Because now, oh, yeah. now these Al Sharpton just does like you know MSNBC and like <laughs> yeah. TV, TV circuit and pop up. But in the mind of a lot of like uh, white nationalists, he's some kind of incredible like rabble rouser. But there was a stage where he kind of was closer to what their fever pitch version of him is. Like, like there was a time where he would pop up for everything and, you know, claim like bias and racism and everything. And I feel like Dershowitz is kind of close to that caricature version when it comes to Zionism and... Oh, yeah. And, and, and Israel. And, and I don't want to say that he's alarmist when it comes to anti-semitism so much as he only views anti-semitism really primarily as being against israel or not being a cheerleader for israel and zionism so he he doesn't even have a fully nuanced or broad view in my view of uh, anti-semitism like i never hear, really hear him talk about anti-semitism for you know a lot oh, of yeah things. definitely for, for example bernie sanders you could do like all the anti you could do all the Jewish stereotyping of like Bernie Sanders, like you know that picture of him with the big nose and all this different stuff. Exactly. And 
I've never heard him speak up about something like that, probably because he could probably assumes, or maybe Bernie Sanders has gone on record of not being particularly, um, yeah, he's, he's like, I mean, he's like Keith Allison. He's one of those people who just because they're not hardline, they get called anti-Semitic. Like they've never, they've barely voted against pro-Israel things. Yeah. They like have said, occasionally said pretty shitty anti-Palestinian things, but they're, but occasionally they'll be like, yo, Israel's going too far. And so they're like, oh, Keith Ellison, Bernie Sanders, they're, they're Hitler, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's one of those type of things. Um, what's, uh, what's interesting there is, like, so contrast someone like Dershowitz with someone like Bernie is, like, Dershowitz and a lot of, like, older Jews. And I, it might not be fair to like them together, but for these purposes, I think we can. Look at, like, the... The sort of first, the OG neocons, like Irvin Crystal, like uh, freaking Norman Podoretz, and um, a few other guys who were also Jewish, who basically invented what we call now neocons in the uh, in the 60s, Robert Kagan, these guys who are like... And, and, and can I just say, there is no lamer group of, pam- <laughs> of pampered, of pampered, unqualified, nepotism fail sons than the children of the og uh neocons uh, yeah bill crystal the the the, the new potterets yeah the new potterets oh, oh my god uh, uh uh d like these guys he's talking about um they were kind of reprehensible but i can say that they were at least intellectually more robust in their uh questionable views like like you know yeah. there's, some, there's some people exactly. who like I don't agree with them, but the person has like an, an intellect. He, they might be misapplying it. He's well read in the in the subject with which he speaks, and he's thought it out. Well, yeah, I understand. Yeah, even if he's using sophistry, it's a very um, impressive sophistry. Like, oh, I think that's bullshit, but I can appreciate that you that you constructed such a plausible like sophistry. These guys' sons are still active, and they're all just dumb shits. All they do is get dunked out on Twitter saying stupid things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they they mm. just try to get they try to get free food from schnippers, you know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and let me guess, they have a cult following that just thinks everything they say is brilliant or something. Not not even they're not even really? that popular. Oh, damn. they got okay. like they're they're they'll have a lot of followers. They're you you know the type of person who like the reason that they have a following is just because someone did a profile of them in a magazine and people who mm-hmm. people who log on to Twitter maybe only to follow people and then forget to use it will follow them gotcha. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like for example they're really old school people who like people who like people like buckley and like their dads yeah. you know they're not really savvy or on twitter or anything uh, or, exactly or ordered or dead and the young people just call them cucks all day like, 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 <laughs> pretty much pretty much all the young people call them like call them anti-semitic things mock them <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. mock them call them call them cucks why would they call them oh cuckservatives and then <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll just get flabbergasted like this is not my right you know leftists dunk on them like um uh, liberals don't really pay them much mind gotcha 
it's lame. Yeah, like there's you got some resistance accounts where people will be like, you know, I I don't agree with him, uh, but I respect him for being against Trump. Like J Pod Oritz doesn't even get that attention. They don't even pay attention to Damn, him. Damn. Like, okay, you, you gotta. Uh, you, <laughs> the resistance rubes don't even care about J Pod. You've got to be pretty lame if you're on Twitter for any given amount of time and you have like no following of anybody that agrees. Oh with yeah. <laughs> like that's. You gotta try pretty hard. This glory oh, yeah. time was the Bush years at the when Fox News was at its uh, peak. Uh, no, the the early yeah, Bill Crystal loved that. Yeah, shit. the early Bush years. Uh, not not uh, mission accomplished. Not post mission accomplished. Where mm-hmm. it was a sinking ship. <laughs> but but you, you know when it started looking like oh wait a minute maybe the drain the swamp thing is gonna work. Like those guys thrived in that because that was a time when conservatives were just so happy doing what they felt was like a victory lap and they felt like they solved the Mideast problem and they thought like you know. The Iraq War worked and was a great propaganda coup. That was back when talk radio was just that's when they're at their heaviest. Was thriving. It Fox News was killing it. Oh, yeah. So basically, any dumb fuck conservative who would just strut and just like talk about oh the libs, you know, <laughs> would would get like some bank in an audience. So there was a small window. Like Bill Crystal was on everything. Oh yeah, Potteritz was his his uh columns were like all over the place. Now they're just like. They've inherited, I mean, like, they've just inherited things like, um, they, they just pop up in Commentary Magazine and, and, um, National Review to just, you know, talk to other, like, propped up, unqualified dumb shits. Like, like, uh, Jonah, what's his name? Jonah Goldberg. Jonah, yeah, oh, Jonah Goldberg. Fuck. Oh, who's, my who's God. Who's uh, uh, Barry Weiss. Oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. She's one of, she's, she's. 30 years younger than them, but she's one of them. She's She might as well be one of them. She, 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 she's, in, she's in the spiritual... I guess she's in the spiritual camp. Who's who's the who's the other one that I think is a little more active in National Review? I don't even know Jonah Goldberg is still there. Who's the one that... Oh, David French? He's not Jewish. He's no, one of the few of them who's not. David no, French is big in there. No, no. One of the lead guys at National Review. Oh, he, he, Nerdlinger. He, Nordlinger. Jay Nordlinger. No, not him. Um, <laughs> are you talking about uh, what is? He's he's like on par with uh oh rich 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 Lowry. Actually, I was right the first time. Uh, Jonah Goldberg was the one I was thinking of. Mm. Sorry. Oh, okay. Rich Rich Lowry is the Rich Lowry is the other guy, but he's not there anymore, right? Probably not. Is he, is he still? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, the first one was right. Jo- Jonah Goldberg. I saw. I, Wait, I might be getting confused about which Goldberg you're talking about. Which one is which Jonah Goldberg? Which one are you talking about? Jonah Goldberg has a goatee, like a really bad '90s villain on. on <laughs> a, is is he the one that wrote a book called uh, "Liberal Fashion"? Okay, yeah, okay, liberal right, fashion. right, right, right. I remember. Okay, now I got it. I thought yeah, you. Were, yeah, for some yeah. reason, I was picturing the other guy. Is his name Jonah Goldberg? I think it is. Um, no, 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 no. Yeah, liberal fascism was by Jonah Goldberg, and it was just basically how, like, uh, you know, uh, Hitler, Hitler. Yeah, they were all really leftists. And all the yeah. true fascism comes from the left. Yeah, I've read that book years. Yeah, and there was a lot of like questionable <laughs> reaches for that because you know it's it's like one step below. Well, you know, uh, Republicans freed the slaves, and the early Klan's people were Democrats. You know, it's it's yep. a lot of like weird reaches and and pretending that what's it called? Yeah, but he was pretty successful at getting a lot of his uh, vernacular in the uh, in mainstream conservatism. Because I hear that phrase thrown around a lot, fascists and some of that other type of stuff. I hear a lot of people in that crowd use that language. Yeah, but 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 those are like people. Like I feel like 
it worked during the Bush era and a little bit after. Because, uh, because, because, but by the time liberal fascism came out, I think it was already starting to decline. You, you know, like uh, George, George, the w bailouts, fuck, the bailouts kind of lifted the thing. That's my conjecture. I, but I think George, I think George W. Bush killed a lot of um their momentum too like they had to kind of go in hiding for a while and become the tea party but actually yeah the bell <laughs> yeah, that, that shit that those bailouts man that uh you know that opened a lot of people i don't know i don't know if it opened there but it certainly soured towards a lot of bush era conservatives you're talking about bush's bailouts or obama's bailouts both of them were kind of right it was like on the cut anyway yeah so yeah, yeah. whichever one you want to give credit to but i i i'd kind of give it more toward bush because obama was still running it for office at that time um but um you know the bank bailouts car bailouts after that a lot of people didn't want them to to bail those industries out you know a lot of people were just kind of like well fuck it let's figure something else out you, you know going back to this thread by Ijeoma oluo like i'm putting in the show notes and like benny said it's kind of long to like uh read but she just keeps going off about you know don't get mad at any jewish people who aren't comfortable with the use of the term concentration camps uh to describe the treatment of the immigrants you know it's not because the jewish people don't care and she constructs this long link lengthy defense of jewish people who are being pedantic about the usage of the word um concentration camps and like we said like you know some people responded to her and a lot of jewish people said hey i don't think um that's being said in good faith and she, she corrects her like one jewish person said you know i've yet to see she said which jewish people get to speak somebody responded yes i'm the descendant of survivors of nazi atrocities on all sides i'm not even remotely uncomfortable calling prisons for small children concentration camps i think the title is apt and justified and then oluo uh, for people who don't know oluo is a black woke intersectional uh, online feminist and like a twitter personality and now an actual author she actually wrote a book they're giving a lot of twitter personalities book deals now so um, i don't know if it's going to ever extend to us you know maybe that'll that'll happen but uh olua responds i don't even understand what this means i mean there's a whole thread which is not, not even really an answer but i guess you're saying <laughs> i guess you're saying i wrote a thread read the thread and all your things will be answered and the person just kind of rightfully just blew past that dismissal and said I have yet to see a Jewish person object to the use of concentration camp in the context, in this context, in good faith. It is always to derail the, the conversation. Your thread assumes good faith. And from what I've seen, it shouldn't. And then she just responds, I've definitely seen the concerned voice in good faith. So she's pretty much, what's interesting is she's dismissing Jewish people about Jewish people, which is like very weird. It's kind of like what we always complain that a lot of white people will do to black people who don't align um you know that phenomenon you described with brunig you know where you said um yeah uh what they really mean is listen to black people who think like me or listen to this group who think like me when i say listen to th these people it's interesting because a black person is doing it on behalf of white people like yeah this black person is telling jewish people you're talking to the wrong jewish people or you're not you don't you don't exactly represent which is very very bizarre like, you're not used to seeing that that reversal like you know yeah, exactly that's what that's what like sort of intrigued me it was like what's going on here one side and i realized about the what brunig says about how people you know people really are saying you know defer to agree with me when they say defer to a certain identity group like i think that people don't even realize they're doing that 
Like, I think a lot of people, they so want to believe that they're not having an opinion and finding people who agree with them. They so badly don't want to believe that. They want to believe that, no, I have the official, natural uh, opinion that's correct for people of this demographic. If you know what I mean? Like, they, I think, you know what I mean? Like, they want to imagine they're just deferring and they don't like to think even about it's not that they're even lying. I think I think they're just like she likes to think, oh, I'm just absorbing the true Jewish uh, opinion. And I think that part of why she does this is she recognizes it's a similar dynamic to what happens with uh, the the chosen representative of black people. people. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that, but that's what I think she's doing here. She's doing the same thing in reverse. Like the white person who anoints a black person, the proper black person to listen to and dismisses other black people does it because something about what that black person believes or advocates, they find kind of beneficial or, you know, analogous. And what I think is going on here, right? Because a lot of these activists, they like complaining about cultural appropriation or they like complaining about certain um, things because uh, like like she, she's realizing like this pedantry is the kind of pedantry that they themselves trade in so that they can make it all right for other groups. She's kind of reserving that it's going to be all right for her to use later yes. for black people or mm. queer people. So this argument, I think when she says, it's really kind of like a substitution game. You know, she's she's making an argument that she's reserving the right to make for black people uh, later. Like, like for example, a good an- an- analogy to this is um, when Cynthia Nixon, because concentration camps is a word that didn't originate with uh, Jewish people. It's just that Jewish people are considered to have what might be, I'm going to say arguably because I don't know the history of every single thing that counts as a concentration camp, but if not arguably the worst, definitely the best known concentration camps. Were. Well, what's what's interesting there is, yeah. and this is like a broad summary of it, it's the thing that I've sort of thought about and really started to think about more like this week, how it works, is like um, the reason that there are the most famous uh, use of the word is largely because... Uh, the concentration camps started really being honest about what they were for and just straight up killing people instead of just leaving them as, you know, throwaway people outside the society and letting them work until they died. Yeah. You know, these were camps where it was very obvious that they were about killing people, uh, to say the least. Whereas, like, the the, orig- the origin of concentration camp with what the English did to the Afrikaners in the Boer Wars, yeah, second the, the the second Boer Wars, right? They they had the exactly yeah. I was, like I was, they let them die. That was the main thing. Was like it was sort of it was clear that the objective was we're going to separate these people and hope they die. But they didn't officially they didn't they didn't gas them. They didn't shoot them. They it wasn't obvious that that's what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, and and, and what was funny was concentration. Well, not funny. That's a terrible thing to say. What was um, ironic was concentration camp. When the debates were happening in England about, because because it originated, I believe the term originated with what you said, the Second Boer War in uh, South Africa and the and the English um, imperialist um, doing that was they, they were bringing up that concentration camp is a euphemism. The critics of it, right. were, um, the people who were fighting against it, that the term was used 
as a euphemism it was it was like these are these are like death camps and you're just mm-hmm. calling them something a ridiculous term concentration camps to hide what they are and what's interesting is because the nazis their concentration camps were so honest about what they what they were now it's not a euphemism anymore now it's become the most heinous thing that you can uh yeah de- describe it's it's and then the euphemism key is changing because as I think we talked about in the DM earlier, you know, then the Japanese concentration camps in America, they, okay, they were like, all right, well, it's it's clear what concentration camps are, so let's call them internment camps. Yeah, exactly. So, so now, now like the, the goalpost moves. Now that's, that's a um, internment camp because now a concentration camp has become not a euphemism, but a uh, heinous, heinous term. But, but, An but, obvious thing that people get what it means. You know, then think about this. Then de- internment camp already has the association with the Japanese, so now they're detention centers. Uh, that's a good one too. So this, these keep, these keep on changing. And is and yeah, the, the the word games politics is funny, man. Um, we we were also bringing up too how is that that different than what happened with Cynthia Nixon? Because like the same way, like. A certain group of Jewish people who play a certain type of identity politics and uh, politics of grievance, right, um, want to claim ownership over the term concentration camps, even though it pre-existed the Nazi ones. And it has a clear-cut definition that can be applied to different races. Like, they don't actually mm-hmm. own the concept. There's a lot of black people who have made slavery reparations synonymous with just the word reparation so when even the reparation has a clear meaning it just means like you know to repay a wrong that was done because right there in the words but when cynthia nixon said that she wanted to make legalized marijuana first focused on black areas in new york city because they were the ones unfairly targeted by the drug war uh d i don't know if you heard this story but uh cynthia nixon was running for governor here was giving a speech about drug legalization and was saying oh communities of color and poor poor communities have been disproportionately and primarily targeted by uh the war on drugs so if we do legalize marijuana and make it a profitable thing i don't want just yuppies coming in and scooping it up and becoming the first billionaires we should put them first in the communities that were unfairly targeted and ravaged by the drug by the war on drugs and the the prison system you know the prison complex and that's going to be a form of reparations but she said was using reparations as in reparations for the drug war not slavery reparations and then al sharpton and a lot of other people who were really just like liberal shills like i don't think they were really honest about what they were doing but they were like wow she trivialized 400 years of slavery by comparing it to mar- like marijuana and uh selling weed like you know what i mean and a lot of people were like you know the slavery reparations argument is but black people in general don't own the term reparations you know it's not um a trivialization of the black struggle or slavery to just use the word reparations and uh you have to specifically be talking about that specific um reparation and it's funny like even i a lot of the it seems to me like maybe the 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 current popularity of just the concept and the term of reparations really picked up maybe it's just like this is when i found out it as like a white reader of these magazines but tanazi coates's article about reparations he doesn't even claim that it's just about slavery um and when he cites an example of reparations that worked it was kind of not really reparations he talks about a weapons deal between israel and germany 
that you know it's not like it really benefited families of Jews who if if, he, if, the, if Germany gave you know a bunch of Israeli Jews back their property that would have been more like reparations but they actually just gave weapon gave money to the IDF like uh, and that's kind of what Tanazi Coast cites. But I look back and I realize even he didn't really uh, claim to own it and claim that it directly applied to slavery, did he? I don't. I don't think so. I have, I have to uh, reread it. You know, what's interesting about the Japanese example is about you know ownership and language and how things work. They don't want to call them concentration camps, you know, because that will a lot of Jewish people have a problem with that right. because they feel a certain ownership to the term. But they got reparations for that internment camp. And a lot of people don't want to call those reparations because they think of reparations as uh, right. black slavery and Jim Crow. So it's like um, Native Amer And in a way, it kind of hurts black people because if black people were to push the idea that what the Japanese got for the internment camps were reparations, what the Jewish Holocaust survivors got, some of the remedies count as reparations yeah. that... Native Americans, uh, 17 tribes, you just got about, uh, well, under Obama got, I think it was $475 million in reparations. Like some people use it, but some people, because they're married to the idea that black people and the slavery struggle own reparations, if they were actually to call those things reparation, rather than diluting their grievance, it actually becomes a precedent that they can use. Like, how can you give all these other people the same thing we're asking for and not give it to us? Now we have a precedent. You know, what I keep thinking when I hear that is, all right, even if it's not correct to call what the Japanese got reparations, let's say, all right, Japanese victims got financial settlements from the government. Can black people get financial settlements from the government? Call it something else if you want, but ask. But, yeah, that's right. true. That's true. You can do it either way. You can call it something else and then call what black people want that same something else as long as you make a similar case but a lot of people exactly. i think i'm more into this not the practical results but are more into it the right to get attention having a unique a unique grievance and kind of i don't know what what's the word i'm looking for they like having that uh, that sympathetic audience and nursing the grievance out loud uh and i think that's what ijioma oluo's do oluo's doing here supporting these Jewish people's right to really narrowly define concentration camps uh, for fear of diluting their uniqueness and right leverage it do that bad type of identity politics because she's the kind of person who, who would want to do that later with uh, reparations or something, you know? Yeah. So there, there's something. Are you saying these? Yeah. No, I, no, I was just commenting on that was an interesting perspective. I, go ahead, Ben. I'm going to cut you off. Uh, what that makes me think of is uh, Elie Wiesel, who's one of the more famous uh, writers who survived the Holocaust. He's a French uh, French victim of the Holocaust whose career was mainly in the U.S. Uh, and France. Um, he had a view of the Holocaust where it's, it's kind of fascinating to read what he says about it because what we've been talking about with wanting to own victimhood and wanting to believe that it's unique and that it's a unique way to get like a unique kind of attention he's almost upfront about that and he was um to just work backward he was definitely toward the end of his life he was most famous for saying very uh very anti-arab things very uh dismissing of uh palestinians as people and also he was sort of famous that that's kind of what he 
got the most attention for toward the end of his life, although he was still, you know, got a lot of respect for his memoirs of the Holocaust. But he said things like, and I'm getting this from, uh, there was a, something that Corey Robin wrote uh, on a website called Crooked Timber uh, about two years ago, um, where he writes like about his problem. Corey Robin's also a Jewish uh, professor of, I think, history. Uh, and he writes about, he quotes Elie Wiesel a lot in this writing about his sort of discomfort with the way he characterized history. He says, yeah, this quote from Wiesel is, the Holocaust is the ultimate event, the ultimate mystery, never to be comprehended or transmitted. Only those who were there know what it was. The others will never know. And he says, uh, he, he complains about uh, a historical movie from the 70s about the Holocaust. He says, uh, the series treats the Holocaust as if it were just another event, but it cannot be explained or visualized. It transcends history. You know, it's kind of interesting because a lot of people like to accuse uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, which I think is not actually a fair criticism of him, but they say that he tries to make white supremacy into a metaphysical thing. But what you described seems to be a clear example, an even clearer yes. example of what they accused Tanahasi Coates of. Yeah, and it's like they're rather than treating it like a broad idea, they uh, want to make it an exclusive concept. Both the 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 how do you pronounce his name? L. E. Wiesel. Yeah, yeah but, but, but yeah. both L. E. Wiesel and Ijioma Oluo, they both want to make broad concepts of oppression into um elusive concepts and there's a degree to which they could be both they could be both like you know genocides are broad concepts but each genocide yes. has its own unique elements you know and mm -hmm. people treat it like it has to be one or the other either it's going to be an exclusive concept that only i can own or it's going to belong to everybody and somehow no one's going to get justice it becomes like a weird zero-sum game and there's the pie is only uh so big and if anything, if, if, you know, one thing that I got taught in uh, Jewish school as a kid was they just keep saying, never forget, you have to always remember it. And here's a weird anecdote that relates this a little bit was once they brought in a, a, a local 90-year-old Holocaust survivor to talk to us. This was actually in college. When I was in elementary school, I had some teachers who were Holocaust survivors, like who just sort of, they didn't tell us many detailed stories except just don't ever let this happen again. My family died. They kind of left it at that. But I got used to being uh, around people who survived the Holocaust and hearing the stories kind of was like an everyday part of life that everyone had a story about their grandfather, the grandfather or like they themselves survived. But in college, way later on, um, they brought in a Holocaust survivor to talk. And um, I think a lot of the people came from different types of backgrounds than me. Or also, perhaps, I don't know if they just were different backgrounds or never, like, uh, had never met a Holocaust survivor or just both. But I remember a person told a, a story. This person, I, I felt a little bit guilty being there, like someone had wrangled them up and they didn't really want to tell the story anymore. They seemed a bit uncomfortable and... Uh, I was like, oh man, I, you know, I, I, I'll shake their hand at the end, tell them, you know, I hope you have a, you know, just give them my best wishes, but I feel a little uncomfortable, like they're maybe exploiting this 90 year old. And then after that, on top of that, at the end, everybody else in the room clapped and this person just burst into tears and said, don't clap. Why are you clapping? I just told you about the Holocaust. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. They said, stop clapping. So, 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 so they weren't really kind of totally complicit in the theater that it became they exactly well that's very interesting you know what's interesting about that story um is how you talk about how it was drilled into you never forget never forget yeah and it's interesting because there's a lot of holocaust movies a lot of holocaust 
themed articles and events, magazines that, you know, really keep bringing up the Holocaust as a way to justify the existence of uh, Israel. What I find fascinating, and we've spoken about this, I think we might have spoken about it on air. We get like five slave movies in like 10 years, and you get a bunch of celebrities yeah. saying, I'm tired of slavery movies. Like, uh, Sorry, there's yeah. more to us than like, slavery. And it's like, it's so, so interesting that the difference is like, that's like a major grievance. Like, that's something that's like maybe three quarters of black existence in America. Like, you know, the Holocaust was like six years, and I'm saying this to the uh, trivialize it but i'm saying it was it was six years and people and there are more movies and museums and magazines and a whole independent like homeland that's um like the way that they were able to um maximize uh justice claim from those six years and then we have people who have uh 400 year justice claim who have been who have internalized this idea of it's wrong to complain or oh we're ashamed of uh and and it's not your shame it's the people who who um enslaved you and did jim crow they're the ones who should be ashamed not you just just like jewish people shouldn't be ashamed by the holocaust they were the victims in it the nazis are the ones the germans are the ones who should be ashamed but I, i just find that difference very uh interesting and an interesting thing there that that got me thinking about is how, yeah, they do really just focus on those six years and um, the history of so that it's it's obvious it's not comparable to slavery because it wasn't a systematic capitalist project to keep people as free labor for 300, 400 years. But the status of the Jews in Europe, especially uh, in the century before the Holocaust happened. You'd never hear anything about that. That's very interesting. You're right. I was going to bring that up. And here's what's fascinating. What's fascinating about that um, that relates to to this, I think, is there's this book. I know there's a lot of books about this, but what I read recently was the book October by uh, China Mieville about the Russian Revolution. It's like a. It's it's written in a almost in a. It's, he's a fiction writer, so he he doesn't pretty much all accurate, but he writes it in sort of the style of a, a fictional, almost as if it's like a science fiction book, talking about building the world and stuff. It's it's a good book. And um, before he gets into the Russian Revolution and to Lenin and all that, he talks for a bit about the uh, the right wing uh, Russian groups who are just out there lynching Jews. Um, and what's fascinating is it hit me that my great grandparents. Great, we were still not sure if they were either gonna get drafted into a war where where they just drafted Jews and used them as cannon fodder, or they had a pogrom. I'm pretty sure it was they went to escape the pogroms, aka the lynchings. Um, so uh, yeah, I was reading that. So I was like, oh yeah, like we we just know vaguely that they escaped Russia and that they were gonna die if they stayed in Russia. But um, reading about it, so it was like. Yeah, like they call this distinctly the pogroms, the pogroms. My dad never told me any little details. Just like, oh, yeah, they must have escaped the pogroms. And it didn't click for me until I I read this in October. It's like, oh, yeah, these were a very similar history to the state-sanctioned, uh, you know, mass movements to lynch black people in America. Like, it's just extremely, it's, it's a, I don't want to call it a shared history because that's a little bit too, like, oh, it's the same. But just that's a thing that people could talk about to help them never forget. Um, that's an individualized way not an individual, like, you know, it's a different way of experiencing a similar historic trauma um, that people don't talk about. They talk, you know, not only do they just downplay that aspect of Jewish history and focus on the Holocaust, um, 
they also just missed the fact that you know, in both continents, there were very similar right-wing movements that were just terrorizing the population. Um, and uh, just the descriptions of them in October are very similar to what I read about, uh, about like the Waco terror and, uh, and stories like that. Uh, but that's a history that we don't really hear commemorated that much, you know? That's, very, that's a very good point. Like, I've learned about a lot of this stuff lately. Like, the Spanish Inquisition was, was one, right? That was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of historical stuff, and you're right. Everything is focused on this six years. This is kind of apex of that. But maybe because there's no real justice claim there that's worth pursuing in their eyes. Like, mm. this is the one that can actually um, get them material. I mean, I mean, there's, like, Nazis still alive, like, like literally. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that might have something to do with it. Cause, you know, that's one thing. And this well, there's one little yeah. side note to there is like part of, and this this just shows how sort of focused the history is. Uh, one thing that like, and uh, if you if you heard like a few chapos, Felix Biederman will go off on this a lot is the fact that Ukraine had possibly more Nazis than Germany, um, but the U.S. sort of uh, didn't didn't really uh, mess with Ukrainian Nazis, partially because they were also anti-Soviet. And so a lot of Ukrainian Nazis, people just sort of accept that they're out there. Mm. Um, and so it sort of shows how it's even aside with that, that like, yeah, people focus on the Holocaust because there are there are obvious claims to make. But even those claims are very selective in the sense that they're like, uh, you know, go after the Germans and the Austrians. Um, but and yeah, obviously some Ukrainian Nazis did get it, but although downplaying sort of downplaying the role that Ukrainians uh, who are still around played in in the Holocaust. So it's even very selective there, you I know. I totally didn't know that. There was a point, I can't take credit for this, it's from Patrice O'Neill, but it mm. was a brilliant point. He said the real big difference, one of the big differences between the Jewish struggle and the black struggle, and, and he made this, this, this good point, it kind of blew my mind. He was like, Jewish people kind of have a target or a face or whatever. Like they can say the Nazis, this certain regime of Russians. And there's even people that everyone will agree suck. Like people will be like, like, oh, the Nazis, there's a uniform. This uniform is what you hate. It's a symbol of the oppression. We'll punish them. We'll extract money from them. If you want to go broader, it's the Germans. You want to say um, the anti-Semitic people that you're going after are these people, the Russian, the Spanish, even the dead. You can at least have an idea. Yeah, you can picture a uniform yeah, you for picture sure. A uniform you yeah. picture like some dead people that you know everyone agrees sucks. Where he's like, but with black people, it's just white people. The people you work with mm. are the grandkids of these people. Nobody wants to really get on board with you and make a Hitler out of them, really. You know? So it's like, if anything, you have a show called Hamilton where <laughs> they're, they're, still, they're still celebrating these people. And not just that, now they're making you play these people. Be grateful for it, you know? And say that they're doing you a favor. It's a very, like, it's very gaslighting. It's very um, crazy-making. You know, like... Who do you get mad at? Like, you know, um, you have people still alive reaping the benefits of it, from it, but do you get mad at them for what their grandparents did, what their great-grandparents... Like, there's no real clear target. Like, this bunch of people are the founding fathers, so you, you can't count them. You, you're supposed to be... What you're supposed to say is they were complicated, flawed people who were doing the best they could, but, you know, on the slavery question, they fell short. 
But what they did <laughs> was create a great, um, you know, like you're not allowed to just make them bad guys. There's no one you can make a clear bad guy except like this kind of caricature of a slave owner who no one can give you a name to. Yo, I want to ask you guys something about that and like the way that that sort of stereotype gets displaced. Because this is the thing that I feel like happens with white people. And I'm wondering if like this is something that you're very privy to at all. Is like, so we all know that, you know, slavery happened in the North just as well for most of history. New York City was a major outpost of slavery. Yep. And in the South, the white people who owned slaves, they were educated people who wanted to read, uh, you know, the Iliad all day, you know. Um, but there's this thing that I feel like I grew up with where we displace the idea of uh, the, the, the bad kind of slave-owning white people onto, like, uneducated, like... Uh, so at most, like a southern, the, the stereotype of like the rich southern guy, uh, like the villain from Eastbound and Down and or, stuff, or, 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 or um, Simon Legree, like like somebody, or, or exactly, or, or like or like the guy that um, Michael Fassbender played in uh, Twelve Years a Slave, where it's like, okay, technically he's mm-hmm. rich, but he, he's kind of like a Donald Trump. He's rich, but he's a bo- he's a boorish person. He's yeah, he's a psychopath and a boorish person. He's not. He's not like a civilized rich person. But okay. But Calvin Candy and Django. Yeah. Yeah. Like okay, you two guys, right? Name me black oppression versions of Hitler, Eichmann, Goebbels. Can you name anybody? Is there is there like a name? John C. Calhoun, maybe. He's a John C. Cal Calhoun. Like it's not even like it's a Confederacy guy. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, it's the Confederacy. Yeah, yeah. There's like no real like targets that, that everyone could because even germans will get together and say yeah hitler sucked you know yeah they'll validate Jew- jewish people to that degree like like we'll be like hey we're right with you man hitler hitler sucked man but we don't know what we were thinking with that one you know they're not making like uh remember the producers springtime for hitler yeah 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 they're not making a real life springtime for hitler and asking the jews if they want to help, <laughs> help do it and like like hear us out you know you'd be proud to play him and we you know he wasn't great to you guys, but he had his good points too. He was a good artist. Yeah, we let a Jewish guy play him. It'll it'll make everything okay. There's there's not that. Um, I'm not doing justice to the Patrice O'Neill observation. Black people, um, I, I I don't like to think in terms of like being a victim and being black, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I try to get white people to understand, Mark, is that um, white is a is a is a fluent concept it's an idea white to us and i i've said this a few times but here's what white is to us the decency that nature has given the jews in their plight the decency is to have a villain in both plights moses there was pharaoh that nigga looked like yul brenner mm-hmm. yul brenner was the evil force yeah. holding you down yeah and god freed you god <laughs> said no jews you must go yeah okay thank god thank god yeah then it's the holocaust mm. hitler, hitler he was a bad one hitler and his crew were the it, it was e after the war it was against the law you can't even have the mustache no more yeah you can't even rock that yeah. you rock that that's not a law but it's an understanding it's, it's a, you just yeah. don't rock it sure. that nigga yeah. is the devil yeah Okay, right. that mustache is the devil. Right. Hitler, then the devil. Right. So that what that enables you to do is move on. Mm-hmm. Move, it mo- mm-hmm. enables you to move on. Okay. Meaning, I, I don't have to hate every German. I don't have to be bogged down. After the Holocaust, being a fucking Nazi was criminal to this day. 
if they find out you used to be a Nazi, you get fucked over. You can't even apologize. Yeah. Oh, no, no I only put a couple in ovens. You. No, no, no. You're done. That's right. Okay? Even if you're 100 years old, yep. you're going to jail. They, you're, you're fucked. Yeah. That, 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 which is great for the spirit of being Jewish. It's great. It's just like, <laughs> we went through this. Yeah, we went through this. But we know our, we know what exactly what happened. Yeah. We know exactly how many people it happened to, and we know exactly who the fuck did it. Yeah. So it enables you to have a chapter in a book. Yeah. Uh, when I start off with white people, I'd say, look, white is is the only thing we got from slavery. We don't have a a we have a a, a finish date. Questionable start date, questionable amount of people that died, uh, questionable effect on our minds. Um, when we were freed, it was like, bye, nigger. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you live, you've been living this way 400 years. Now we expect you to live, uh, wonderfully now. And, uh, what we did to you is not criminal. And, and the only thing left is your skin. So you have the skin color of, the enemy. So every white person is Hitler's mustache, really. To my to my gut, yeah. every white, all white skin is that. On some level. On some level. Do you have anything you want to say, D? I feel like I've been kind of bogarting this. No, actually, this this topic has been one of learning for me. You know how sometimes we'll we'll do these shows and we invite a guest on that to speak on a topic, and sometimes I have to shut my big mouth up and kind of sit back and just listen and observe and you know ask questions when I when I want to understand something in greater detail. So no, nah, man, this is just kind of a learning experience for me, and I'm I'm really glad to uh, have had Benny on to talk about some of this stuff, man. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, hey, welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I wanted to close out um last 10 minutes or so talking about some of the questions that you've asked in the past because mm. uh, oh yeah help me remember which ones were you the brazil one which is the reason that we had wendy muse on right, uh, right. was was from you so if you like the wendy muse episode benny's uh responsible for uh <laughs> that one and uh, Which yeah, led my, to a greater, a little bit of controversy. <laughs> Not many questions per se, but that episode ended up being about something yeah, yeah. way off the topic of what it was originally intended for. Yeah, I thought the Brazil knowledge was so good, and because she, oh, man. because she yeah. mentioned the thing about Tommy Curry. That's all anybody wants to talk about about that episode. <laughs> well, that's two minutes. Yeah, it's two minutes. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> People like drama. Yeah, um, what, I feel like we almost need to do like a relaunching of that episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I wonder if Wendy's back on when uh, <laughs> results in the news again. And, you know, yeah, I think that would be good. Uh, what were some of your other questions? Because you said some of them you, like, you really like the answers to. Oh, yeah. The, the one that I was just thinking of now was the one when I asked... Uh, it kind of relates to the a topic that you've revisited and gotten a lot of material out of, which is uh, the Issa Rae's uh, anti-Filipino uh, racism and um, the uh, yeah the idea that she's whiter, she's less black than a Filipino man in a way. Oh, oh, that idea. The idea that I asked, do you think that people? Cause this actually relates to the Brazil question you're going to think about because that was inspired by her. I've heard a lot of maybe more older uh, scholars and like uh, Pele is the famous, most famous person who said, he says something that's not even really 
correct. Probably just a misperception on his part. He says, yeah, in America, if you, I, I could become a famous black man, but in Brazil, I became white, he said. And uh, basically, the, the, the idea of, like, do people become white? And to what extent do people become white is, I guess, what both of those questions are about asking, do you think that people, that black women become white in the eyes of society as well, well as, like, in Brazil, is that a re do they really perceive black people as becoming white? Yeah, I, I, I think she kind of yeah. answered that, that they kind of... She did, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that they kind of gassed them up a little more into believing it, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really happen yeah but i mean yeah. you hear that kind of talk it seems like it's becoming fairly prominent that that caught on with with certain individuals within that contingent oh uh, you're talking about here or in brazil no here oh here. yeah right. here but, but but you know what's funny about it here this is the difference about it here i think and by the way i thought that was that was a very good question i didn't realize you were the one to ask that and and i <laughs> liked it because it sounded kind of crazy in the way that i sound the way that i think it sound kind of crazy sometimes and it felt good to see someone else say it because it helped make me feel more comfortable saying it like okay it's plausible to people because i've thought that that these people actually think they're kind of elevated in a special race or above and what was interesting is after i answered that question i saw a lot of people online or uh, wrote to me that said it sounds very weird but after you read the question and you answered it i started seeing it all the time you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah what was fascinating mm -hmm. to me in your response was when you basically said yes people people so much competition in society is over the meager resources and the belief that you're going to be white at the end of the day or there are maybe if you want to even be more specific that you could be like a wasp at the end of the day but nobody can yeah you know sometimes even even like what sometimes even like if you're a wasp and you have three fail sons the fourth fail son isn't even really a wasp yeah they're not gonna let someone from a different race not even gonna let a jewish person become a wasp and they're already pretty white yeah and and same same, same a lot of italians a lot of, like, like like there's there's a lot yeah scalia scalia is oh so i just want to interject one thing because it relates to some stuff we were saying before is the talk about jewish neocons um from the 50s and then i put scalia in the same category it's like all right they they came jews and italians at the time italians a lot of them were anarchists a lot of the jews were communists they sort of got purged uh you know the F, through the fbi and just the culture weeded them out and then you had these people who were who loved whiteness more than white people loved whiteness like scalia yes scalia uh and like the pador norman Podorts and all those people that's almost it's almost as if that's what was going on with them they're like you don't realize how I, I want a piece of this whiteness. I don't want to let it go away. I'm going to fight back and, and a, against all these social movements. And a lot of these black people are like that too. Like uh, I've said in the show in the past how mm. they buy into this image of whiteness that white people sell them that even white people don't really buy into and abide by. Like, you know, like, uh, yes. for example, the whole uh, civility type of thing. And the, you know how you kind of talk about how they preach this Christian ideal. And, and black people really take that turn the other cheek stuff really very, very, very seriously. And uh. you'll see the actual white people that they got it from not turning the other cheek for anything, you know? But I want to answer something that... um. I started answering to, well, I wasn't really answering because you weren't asking, I don't think you were asking a question. You were giving your opinion. Uh, what, what I was thinking about when you said that thing with, if it's becoming that way, black Americans or, you know, to become like honorary white, I think, I think they're yes. in a funny position here because I think when the Brazilian person does it, they kind of want to do it to really leave the oppressed identity behind. But here, this is funny 
cognitive dissonance or this um kind of paradox that's kind of irreconcilable and like most cognitive dissonances it makes them kind of crazy there's, there's a consistency to the brazilian thing is like i want to be honorary white and leave this oppression behind but here the way to be honorary white is to is to be the most oppressed so so like what happens is these black women who and we'll use i i hate to keep coming back to it but it's such a good example of it the Issa rain thing she clearly thinks that black women educated black women of her tribe should be honorary whites to the point she's so white she can look down on a non-black person as being too black to date that's like kind of sick but what's the logic that takes her there she has to start off with the long spiel about how black women are the most oppressed oppressed so her value her her thing that gives her access to white circles to do what no with this new type of identity politics is that you have to prove that you're the most oppressed and this type of intersectionality is you have to collect as many oppressed identities as you can whoever has the most so you know if you're black you're a woman and you're queer and you're this and that then you get the mic and and you get the visibility you get the spotlight over somebody who only has three or two like everything is very attention and visibility um based then you parlay that visibility into status prestige prestige and proximity to whiteness because because who's giving you the mic it's white people so you get that proximity to whiteness and honorary whiteness by how white you're not it makes no sense and that's why these people sound so crazy all the time because you can't reconcile it like cognitive dissonance the kind of defenses you have to do to make a cognitive dissonance stay are what people call neurosis that's what neurosis is neurosis is maladaptive coping to a cognitive dissonance that can't be resolved but in a weird way it makes sense because that's what they understand that you have to do in order to get the benefits yes you have to present yourself you nailed it as the most oppressed and so in a weird way it, it, it i think what you described it at first is is, is a perfect description it's a paradox i don't know if it, i don't I, I don't know if i would say it's a contradiction but it's definitely paradoxical Yep. In the sense that, on the one hand, you have to be the most oppressed. You have to have all these identities that are oppressed in order to gain access. But then you also have to do this weird thing where you look down upon, in a condescending manner, other groups within your same demographic. You understand? You know what I'm saying? It, it's it's the weirdest. Like the whole thing. black men are like the whole black men are trash thing, or an Issa Rae's one. And useless. They 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 describe black men as the most useless. Uh, poor straight black men. I but not just say. that. Worse than white men. Like like they go in on white women yeah. and, and straight black men. But Issa Rae did a curveball because I've never seen one to go after Filipinos. Like Filipinos, were, to me, just minding their business. Like you know, like like, like she, <laughs> <laughs> like, where the fuck did that one even come from? <laughs> she's trying to yeah. show. I'm, yeah. Like I don't even think white people have a beef with Filipinos like that. But she's like, yo, just in case you do, fuck <laughs> it. Like I'm I'm stomping on them on them too. <laughs> like what you said was great about. You said it doesn't make sense. But it does make sense. That's what uh, Alfred Adler, like someone I, I, I used to read a lot, he calls it a private logic. As in, <clears throat> something doesn't make sense by regular objective logic. But he said, whenever somebody continues to do the same neurotic thing over and over again, there's a private logic to it that might not, might not be apparent to you. But to that person, there is a payoff. There is. So, you know, I always try to think of like the private logic. I, I love that you said that because I because I didn't say it, but that's exactly what um it is. It is logical to them. And they all understand that there are certain buzzwords and phrases to and, and 
code speak that you have to understand and show that you comply by in order to get in. Yeah, so to, it's, to it's a fascinating tribe, thing. Yeah, tribe membership. I mean, it's, Tribalism. It's the same yeah. way that the, yeah. the, the, the alt rights. If you say cuck and you have certain things, you know, then they know you're one of them. Um, an amazing thing about how private logic works is how easy it is to convince yourself that something is working when it never re- actually worked. That's true because, because like you said, they're never going to become white. Yeah. Even honorary white. It's just not It's just not going to happen. But yeah, I mean, they, they can feel like it's working because they're getting certain crumbs that the other people aren't getting or, you know, like you've seen that a lot with this kind of tribal intersectional people. They're like the toast of white elites now. Like they're always saying, you know, listen to, they say black women, but they really mean the specific tribe of black women. And they, oh, yeah, yeah, and... No, I find myself falling for that. Like I've, I, one thing I get from listening to, uh, to uh, reading and listening to some of your your episodes is that I will forget that when they say black women, that that yeah, that many most black women aren't that demographic. Like I'll talk to a black woman who I work with, and I'll realize, wait a minute, she doesn't know what the hell any of this yeah, stuff yeah, is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Benny. Don't feel alone because we go through that. <laughs> we forget sometimes that. It's, it's funny. It's like the other day, uh, I said something about intersectionality, and the black woman that um, I knew was like, what is that? A girl that I went to college with? And I just yeah. to her, and like, she knew none of it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I forget too sometimes, even though I'm the one who says it a lot. And, you know, you, you do forget. It's It's weird. It's really wild. As much as we discuss it on the show, you know, I'll be trying to explain some of the things. And I know, T, you've gone through this before as well. You try to explain something that, you know, <laughs> goes on on Twitter or on the show. You try to explain it to somebody <laughs> in the real, in the regular world. And they're like, what the hell? What, you know, it sounds crazy. You know, and they think you're crazy. I remember the exact example. I was I was telling my wife about Feminista Jones and, and, the, medical, and, yeah. and the medical rape. Do, 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 right. do you know the medical rape story, Benny? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, oh, no. Hold on to your ass, oh, this buddy. Is a, this is a great one. Feminista Jones, you know, she tweets like all the time. She has like, I think she has, she has literally a, a million tweets. I'm not I'm not saying that like hyperbolic. I think she has a, a literal like million. Um, <laughs> she just like tweets every single thought that passes through her mind. Right. And she like was talking about, yeah, I have a really bad toothache. She's tweeting to all her followers. And then one of her followers, some guy said, hey, you know, when I have a toothache, I have a great natural remedy. You know, if you can't get to the doctor, use like coconut oil and this and use like a warm rag and use that. And then she just lost it. And she was like, how dare you? I didn't ask you. I was just bringing up. And the guy was like, but why were you bringing it up if you didn't want any advice? Where well, you kept going on and on, and he goes, you know, just because I was bringing it up doesn't mean you get the right to give me unsolicited Whoa. medical advice. This is medical rape. You uh, raped me medically by giving me because I was getting so used to how these people were. We were all laughing at it, but I think even while we were laughing at it, we were complicit with the insanity because we weren't. <laughs> we were just treating it like a like a like a stupid gaff, like oh wow, this is crazy. But we got so used to this tribe just saying increasingly crazy stuff. When I told, oh, just a normal day on yeah, Twitter, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like like it's crazy, but it's just 
normal crazy if that makes any sense yeah <laughs> and then when i told my wife the story she goes that's insane what is that person okay like what like and when i saw her face they started looking at me like i was crazy yeah 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 i'm very familiar with that that experience yeah yeah yeah, yeah she's like yeah she's like so so you're just laughing at this like this is a normal thing like like, like you don't think like she really uh but they don't see the humor in it at all they're like yeah like it's why are you laughing at <laughs> like, it's so, like to her it's so nutty it's beyond like she's like this person needs help like like right like, yeah. like, like like this person's walking the streets i'm like oh yeah i mean they're at the time she was pretty popular she was like uh one of the roots top 100 like she, she won an award like uh-huh. i'm like wow I guess, I guess like this is an insane society like like so one thing that i feel like is the source of that partially based on i look back at when was the time that i was the most like most like oh these people must be right a lot of people a lot of people uh, especially on twitter like this seems to bring it out is like there's a lot of people who their thing is they're white dudes and white women who write about the culture um you know that's always been a job that was sort of declining and that i imagine would make people anxious of like do i am i going to be able to get paid for this much longer in the obama era it became clear that there were way more voices who could compete with them um and that maybe they didn't have the authority they used to have to write about uh wider culture subjects and that maybe uh not even just like to write about like black culture but uh Maybe there's a lot of things that are seemingly just white things that maybe they had a perspective where a thousand other writers on Twitter would be like, yo, you don't even realize the context of this and why this is weird. And they got very scared. Like, I think that even if they, even if you don't, if you're that kind of white person and you don't log on, you already could sort of feel the culture changing and like be afraid of losing it. Mm. But then you log on and it's just exponentially amplified that idea that I could lose my voice here. And so they're like, Oh my God, who do I retweet? Oh, Feminista Jones. Oh, cool. Mm. I get to keep on writing about star Wars as a white person now. Cause I retweeted Feminista Jones. I paid my dues. Yeah. Yeah. I'm staying, I'm staying relevant. That's a great point. Yeah. I can see that. I wonder if something, if that, to a degree that happened with like Ta-Nehisi Coates and things like that. Not even people that are as off the, mm. you know, off the beat path is feminist. Yeah, account. I mean, Jeff- Jeffrey Goldberg gets to continue uh, being Jeffrey Goldberg That's- uh, by... Uh, <laughs> by having Tana icy coats on his staff. That's true. That's you know? true. And it's and it's funny that you mentioned that cluelessness because that leaked transcript of Jesse Goldberg. I'm sorry, I'm sorry oh, Jeffrey yeah. Goldberg. I forgot about Jeffrey that. Goldberg with yeah. Tana Coates and Van Newkirk, and there was like various women uh, there too, and they're all way more in touch. He is so daft and out of touch in that transcript. You're like, wow, this guy. He's just basically getting by by the fact that he's hiring these people who are just way more in touch with him. And you can tell that they're getting exasperated with him in that transcript. They're like, <laughs> no, Jeffrey, that's not what we mean. Uh, what we mean is this. And he's like, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when you go to Popeye's Chicken, right? Like, 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 Jeffrey, what are you talking about? Just sit in this corner. You know, you're, you're getting a nice check. Just sit in this corner and, you know, yeah, yeah. you're slowing this down. It's like, it's like, it's like having your grandpa in the room and you're trying to have a topic about something. He just keeps asking you questions that are really rudimentary and, you, and he's like, uh, who's Snoop Diggy Dig? And it's like, just, 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 yeah, just sit there. Just, just go away. You're slowing us down. Yeah. And if that's that's how much Jeffrey Goldberg's struggling to prove that he has, still should have a voice, imagine somebody who doesn't even have his level of success. Imagine like an aspiring white writer, yeah, yeah, an aspiring white yeah, editor, somebody, somebody who's free, not even somebody there yet. Somebody doesn't have the job security. Exactly, who's still trying to scrape at the door. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. 
Okay, I'm I'm done. But if either of you guys wants to give a last word, um, feel free. Uh, I'm great. This was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, one more thing I want to add. Just a little thing I said before. The thing I said about the Ukrainians, there's a way more obvious example of the selective sort of reparations for the Holocaust, selective justice. Just all the German scientists, who they, all the Nazi scientists who the U.S. brought oh, back, which yeah, is a much more like... One publicized thing just to, so i just wanted to add that I, was, I think a historical thing i missed other than that you know thanks for having me on um yeah, yeah for sure you know what i have a i had a question for you but it'll turn into another topic so i'm not even gonna <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll hit you in the dm or something yeah. actually actually throw it out there who cares it's so, so it's long so so it's long it's fine <laughs> um okay i wanted to ask you along with the holocaust like uh, is there any discussion of um what they describe as like like the precursor to the Holocaust with the German extermination program for like the black Africans in Southwest Africa, which is now known as like Namibia, I believe. But Namibia, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there any discussion of that when when you guys are learning about the Holocaust and things like that? Because I know a lot of times that's described as like the template. Yo, definitely not. The only context in which I think that you see Jewish people talking about it is I think back in the day, Jewish uh, communists would have talked about that because of uh, the communist idea of, of like the early 20th century, they would talk about how uh, empires and wars are a way for capital to sort of burn off its excesses, which was like the German empire in Namibia was like having the surplus, like to be really reductive about it, just the fact they had a surplus of military resources and they were gonna, you know, so that they just had a reason to, to they just had to flex it, uh, to keep the capital going, to preserve the capital and, uh, to, uh, to control the population's to to exploit of course but you know what that's like an old basically basically the answer to your question is no it's not often talked about but just feel like i should put a disclaimer that i'm pretty sure that the jews who basically got purged by the the fbi in the 50s probably would have talked about that a lot if for any other reason than to have a a point of connection with uh, some of the african americans that they were that they yes were to the communist movement yeah okay I yes see that. exactly yeah but yeah that's a good point i'm and i i'm think i'm i'm gonna read more about that because you definitely it's yeah, sinking yeah. into me now how uh it's sinking into me how little i've read about the connections yeah. i'm glad, to, you, I'm, to I'm that. glad you asked that yeah. and it wasn't it didn't take that long either it was a that was a good uh that was a good question yeah yeah all, all right benny uh you, you know what's cool about uh this show i like that we can have like you know somebody like uh glenn greenwald but but yeah. then you can have like you know just a fan and the conversation yeah, yeah, to, that's cool. the conversation yeah, can be just yeah. as interesting if you know not not more so like that's 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 really that's really cool i'm glad i'm glad that and uh, i like that yeah. man honestly i like learning from normal everyday people man i don't you know i don't like having to go to the ivory tower to get knowledge man i like when i can just have a normal dude come on and and share knowledge with me and, and vice versa. So, man, really, I thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And, you know, before I went on, I was thinking, like, do I, should I write out, plan anything to say? Then I realized, wait a minute. Now, like, one of the things I like about this show is that often it's you guys who are, you're people who've, you, your, your job is not to be a scholar of these subjects. You read a lot. And you and you connect what you read to your lived experiences, and that's what makes the show interesting. Is that we all we all read a lot, you know, we all speculate about how it connects to what we see in the world, and 
That makes for good conversations. That's one of the best things about the show. Damn, I think we don't have to use this as a promo bit, T. Yeah, yeah. I want to make a commercial. I'm gonna put that. I'm gonna put that in there. I think you summarized it beautifully. Yeah, I enjoyed the process of thinking out loud, you know. And this was a great example. I felt like uh, this was a good thinking out loud session, which was was really fun. So yeah, I mean, in the future, you know, keep sending those questions, and you know, oh, yeah, feel free to come on again in the future, and yeah have a good one man yeah thanks guys have a good night you too bro all right